0: Welcome to Just Thinking with hosts Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker, bringing you week to week cultural apologetics, as well as social issues from a biblical worldview. This is Just Thinking. Let's think. We're back. It's another edition of the Just Thinking podcast. I am Virgil Walker.
1: And I am Daryl Harrison. What's going on, Verge man? What do you know? Par- You're part of the world out there in Nebraska.
0: Man, and- I, you know what? Two things I can't wait for. One is either to hear you do a Michael Jackson version of, you know, Oma or. <laughs> <laughs> or your pronunciation of Nebraska. I don't know what I, which one I like more, man. Either one of those I'm good with. It's, it's good to be with you, man. How you doing? You know the
1: MJ version of Omaheezy, That right. one, that one's unique, man. It's kind of special. That one's right. really gotta got to hit me. You, you got to feel it, right? I got to feel that one, man. Right, right. I am I'm not
0: I wasn't <laughs> feeling that one today no, for I this can, intro. I could. Here's the here's the thing. I'm almost at the point where I can tell. I'm like, ah, uh, the, the energy ain't with him just yet. Yeah. He's gonna have to. Yeah, I can, I can, I can tell, man. I get it. Yeah, man. So you know, uh, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you
1: understand that. I'm glad you're recognizing the nuance, man. Between. <laughs> that's pretty good man that's pretty good yeah so there's one and then there's the other man and depending on how i'm flowing you know i'll use one and then the other man it's just uh you know right now i'm sort of in a you know uh corn husker straw hat overalls kind of (laughs) This is of of you sitting on the other side of this mic okay i got it i got
0: it yeah i got well the the corn is the corn will soon be coming so i get it i totally get it man i totally good stuff well man it's great to be with you man i'm i cannot wait for what we've got going on tonight man i've got a crazy crazy week ahead but but uh like you man i'm just trying to trying to stay where we are in the moment. Uh, staying focused on what's going on currently and uh, uh, ready ready to ready to tee it up with you, man.
1: Yeah, man, you know, and speaking of staying in the moment, I do mm-hmm. want to sort of uh, veer off of our uh, scheduled topic and dialogue mm-hmm. just for a second, because as we record this episode on Sunday, August 4th, it's fresh in our minds, it's fresh in the news, the two most recent uh a series of mass shootings has occurred in both El Paso, Texas, and Dayton, Ohio. Mm-hmm. So, as we record this uh, episode of the Just Thinking Podcast, I do want to acknowledge those two events. And I also want to, more importantly, acknowledge that our God is still on the throne. Amen. Uh, our God still reigns. Our mm-hmm. God is sovereign even over the sinfulness that occurs in this world. And I do want to say a special word to the families, the surviving family members uh, of these two uh, incidents, uh, though they have uh, uh, family members, friends, close friends, acquaintances who have departed this world. I do pray that for those surviving family members and friends who uh, don't know Jesus Christ, the Savior, I'm praying that the Lord will use this event in their lives to bring them to faith in Him. Amen. Uh, that's number one because when things like this happen, you know that normally it's a, it's a shame that this happens. Though when events like this happen, you see them politicized so quickly. Right, right, right. Especially right. on social media. I mean, it's right. not five seconds that right. people are going after each other, placing blame. Right. Whose fault was it? Uh, was it the president's fault? Was it uh, the culture's fault wasn't right. the fault of the gun used right uh it, it doesn't take long where people are arguing about things like that when you have people who have who are dead whose souls may or may not be in hell right, right now right uh, so, so that at least for the church anyway should be the larger concern mm-hmm. as i see it anyway so mm-hmm. i do want to offer on behalf of uh, you Omaha on behalf of everybody who supports and makes the just thinking podcast happen each week. Yeah. We want to, uh, with all sincerity, offer our prayers that the Lord, our God will console Mm -hmm. many, many broken hearts that are, that are, uh, uh, are are just absolutely devastated Mm -hmm. by these incidents. But it's just a reminder, um, that as Peter says in Second Peter 3.13, that for we who are believers, that we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth Amen. where righteousness dwells. So I just want to say that uh, to those family members and, and acquaintances and, and uh, of those victims, um, those who uh, were uh, killed, those who were injured and, and are uh, being cared for at this time, that we are remembering you mm. uh, on this day. Uh, and know that you are uh, definitely in our prayers. you want to add there? No,
0: d- just great word, great thoughts, and um, and I, I appreciate the fact that you you capture that in in the moment. It's one of those things where uh, early on, when events like that occur, and folks and and you know attention uh, from around the world is aimed, at, you know, and targeted at a specific space or place that uh, you know you 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 feel this, you feel the warmth, you feel the appreciation. But it's it's for those loved ones. It will be you know weeks, months. Years ahead, that they will feel the, the hurt, the, the loss, the pain of of, of those kinds of situations. And, and it's in those instances where the words that you shared are really, really uh, impactful uh, and powerful, because at the end of the day, there, there's a great hope that we have in Christ. Uh, he is the only hope of the world. And uh, it's, it's that it's 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 a focus on that. Uh, that will be the the, the comfort uh, needed, the comfort required, and and ultimately the opportunity to experience eternal life. So absolutely, man, appreciate your statement.
1: Amen, brother. So uh, this is going to be a rather, um, some people may say, well, extreme Mm -hmm. shift in gears from Mm -hmm. that very solemn and serious topic. But I want to lighten it up a little bit before we dive into our topic for this episode of the Just Thinking podcast. I saw, on Facebook a couple days ago, man, you rep- you replied to a question somebody asked okay. about what the best eighties band was. <laughs> and they had <laughs> they had said that the pretenders was the best I was like, band of the I 80s. was like, who? Who? Like, I was really? like, and you answer, who? <laughs>
0: the pretenders oh my gosh give me a break so who would who would be in your opinion the best 80s band Again, it depends on how, how you know how you can. I know who yours is, and I saw what you put. I'm gonna let you, I'm gonna let you for RC, for we have we have new we have new listeners all the time. And so everybody may not know who your favorite band is. So I'm I'm gonna let you unpack that. So I'm gonna stick with what I actually put on there. So, so this, <laughs> this has a lot to do with you know what, what your thoughts are about 80s bands. Now I'm thinking hair bands kind of metal, because that was a big deal. You know, you had poison, you right. had these other bands that were out there def leopard was my my choice. I love Def Leppard because they had the one armed guy who was playing the, yeah. Who was playing the was drums. A drummer. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and man, they, they had a number number of hits, and so I, I kind of went went that route. And and again, I, I figured folks wouldn't folks wouldn't look at me and go, "He's a Def Leppard fan." So you know that was kind of my 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 trust. And, and the, the the young lady, I won't say her name, but the young lady who actually posted, she and I went to high school together. Actually, oh, and, okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. And she, she and I went to high school together, and she's a wonderful uh, Christian mom, mother, and and homemaker, and just a an amazing lady uh man shares the gospel i mean just a powerful po- i mean you, you we she'd be she'd be somebody you could have on a on a podcast and she just man she'd share the gospel with you she she's a powerful powerful young lady but anyway it, it was it, so i responded it was kind of funny and then i looked down to only notice that you had you had taken the time to post your favorite
1: <laughs> yeah i just butted, i just butted in on that Jumped conversation yeah, yeah yeah
2: yeah 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 <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah so uh especially for our new listeners to the just thinking podcast i mean our regular listeners already know this right 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 but i'm i might be one of the biggest toto fans out there right <laughs> i would argue with anyone that toto was the best band of the 80s right right
0: right right, right, right.
1: hands down matter of fact i think your friend I'm hands right, down
0: <laughs> Like, down, like, like. There's no question. Yeah, like, there's no question. No about question. Right, and and and, and okay.
1: let me let me prove this point. So so your friend, <laughs> she responded, all right, that the Pretenders was the best band. So I when right. I when I typed Toto, and that's all I typed, I right. typed T O T O. I hit enter and I was out. Right. And uh so she responds, well, something to the effect, well, you have to have more than one hit to qualify as the best band of the eighties. Right. So that did it, man. She should have said it.
2: (laughs) Oh, (laughs) snap. Oh, snap.
1: I just responded. I said, well, how many Grammys did the pretenders have? Right. And, you know, that's it. Mic drop.
0: (laughs) That was it.
1: Do you know, Omaha, there would be no Michael Jackson thriller album without Toto?
0: I I do know that. I do know that. That's all I'm going to
1: say. That's I do I'm know saying. that. Yeah, I think, I think Toto may have eight or nine Grammys. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you want to put, you know, I don't know if you want to, you can measure best band of the eighties by any any sort of metric you want. Right, right, right. But if we if we want to do accomplishments in the in the industry, right, not the pretenders, it's not cutting. <laughs> anyway, let me move on, man.
0: Before I oh get my gosh, here. <laughs> before I get yeah, we going, got, we got a lot of ground to cover, man. We, <laughs> we got. <do. laughs> It's
2: good
1: yeah, Let's dive. Let's dive in this topic because let's you do and I it. both have been, it's like this every week, man. We always look forward to getting together mm-hmm. on Sunday to record the upcoming week's uh, episode of the Just and yep. Podcast, but this one especially, man, I think you and I are, 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 are very much energetic behind this topic because it's a, a well, we like to think that everything that we talk about on the Just and Podcast is a necessary topic. We don't want to be wasting people's time. Right. Uh, especially considering that, you know, some of our episodes go much longer mm-hmm. than the quote-unquote average podcast will go. So we appreciate our listeners remaining so loyal to us. Absolutely. But Absolutely. On July 13, 2019, the Baptist Press website published an article entitled, Thank You, Greer Tells Black Church Assembly. Okay, so this was an article that was published on Baptist Press Baptist Press website, July 13th, 2019, titled Thank You, Greer Tells Black Church Assembly. Now, mm-hmm. the article highlights remarks made by Greer at the annual Black Church Leadership and Family Conference that was held in Ridgecrest, North Carolina. Now, I'm unsure if Greer was the keynote speaker at the event or if he s- simply took the opportunity to make some remarks to the report at 1000. Event attendees, but nevertheless, I found some of Greer's comments worthy of our taking time to discuss them on this episode of the Justingin Podcast, and I'm going to explain why in just a moment. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, for our listeners who may be unfamiliar with who JD Greer is, because we don't want to assume that any of our listeners are in fact familiar with who he is, Greer currently serves as president of the Southern Baptist Convention, what what Mm -hmm. is commonly known as the SBC. And he is also senior pastor at the Summit Church in Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. That's a little background on who J.D. Greer is. Now, with that as background, I want to make clear at the outset of this episode of the Just Thinking podcast that what you and I will be discussing here, Omaha, is not necessarily about J.D. Greer at all. Okay, so I want to put that out there up front. Mm -hmm. It's just that this event, the Black Church Leadership and Family Conference, and Greer's remarks at that event have opened a door for you and me, uh, as well as our listeners to engage with one another on a topic that is much, much bigger than any one individual. And that topic is the issue of Christian unity. Yeah. Christian unity. Any comments you want to add Omaha before we dive deep on this one, bro?
0: No, man, I, I was, I was excited. I know we've kind of, we've we kind of held on to this particular topic uh, or at least the article for, for a couple of weeks. And, uh, you know initially i thought well i'll i'll jump in, but i couldn't wait, man to get back with you so i'm I'm excited to to discuss this with you I look forward to to us getting getting together to talk about it I think christian unity is is an important topic to discuss and i'm I'm often surprised i'm shocked really by what some people do when they find themselves in front of predominantly black audiences mm-hmm. Sadly, the language that some choose to use in an effort to unify is eye opening. And what I mean is at best, some use condescending language informed by the miseducation of social justicians. And and I know we're going to I don't, don't want to jump too far ahead because I know we're going to get into the details of all of this here in a bit. But I just thought to make some initial comments about what happens when folks get in front of, of predominantly black audiences, as you mentioned earlier in in your comments, at worst. I'm convinced that when given the opportunity to speak to predominantly black audiences, some use language that exposes their own personal battle and conflict with racism. Mm -hmm. Now, I I said a lot there, but let me give a a quick example there. I know you remember during the 2016 presidential campaign when Hillary Clinton went on the Breakfast Club radio talk show. You remember that incident? (laughs) The Breakfast Club was hosted. I I know you do. I know you do. The Breakfast Club was hosted by Angela Yee, DJ Envy, and Charlemagne the God. Now, it airs in 90 radio markets and attracts a wide range of listeners of hip-hop and urban culture. Mm -hmm. Now, Hillary, knowing she was speaking to a predominantly black audience, was prepared to deliver the answers that she thought this audience would like to hear. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the hosts, Angela Yee, asked asked uh, Hillary this question. She said, "What's something that you always carry with you?" Remember, Clinton shot back, "Hot yep. sauce, hot mm-hmm. sauce," mm-hmm. and and the the host couldn't believe it. And Charlemagne then said to Clinton, "You know, you know, people are going to say that you're pandering to black people." And, and after what seemed to be an incredibly uncomfortable laugh, you ought to go check it out on video. It's pretty entertaining. Yeah. After an uncomfortable laugh, Clinton shot back. Okay, is it working? Wow. Yeah. Recently, recently presidential candidate Kamala Harris tried the same kowtowing tactic. And after serving as, as prosecutor and becoming California state's attorney general, Harris would go on the same show, recognizing that she was speaking to a predominantly black audience, as Harris would admit that she had used marijuana and inhaled. Now, mm-hmm. now, this, this of course, would give our street cred with the blacks right. and mm-hmm. the left-leaning audience on the show. Mm-hmm. Now, now, while these are two extreme examples of the kind of foolish, soft bigotry, low-bar expectation promulgated by po- po- political leaders in the public, we should be alarmed whenever we see the same kind of behavior from pastoral leadership in the pulpit. So, man, needless to say, Daryl, I-, I could not wait, man, for us to sit down together and and walk through this particular topic, the issue of Christian unity and what people try to use in an effort to create that unity.
1: I really appreciate that, Omaha. And walkthrough is an apt description of what our listeners are in store for in this episode because mm-hmm. we are going to take a very methodical approach and unpacking the various and many, many layers uh, to this. It won't be exhaustive, uh, but uh, we do hope our listeners will benefit and find on this episode edifying as we discuss what is absolutely a critical, I don't think it can be understated how critical a topic it is in this day and time in which we live, the topic of Christian unity. Mm -hmm. So J.D. Greer was speaking recently, as I said, at the Black Church Leadership and Family Conference in Ridgecrest, North Carolina. But before delving into some of Greer's specific comments, I thought it might be helpful to begin by discussing the origins of the term Black Church okay? Black church. Go ahead and put that in air quotes, listeners, as you follow (laughs) me here. Right. Uh, I thought it might be helpful to begin discussing the origins of that term, black church. I really think we need to start there as we sort of uh, go down this road of Christian unity. I really think, again, in the context of the event that J.D. Greer was at. Now, you cannot lose sight of this, okay? He was attending, he was speaking at an event called the Black Church Leadership and Family Conference, okay? So I think we really need to start at the origins of the term Black Church because there may be someone listening who, upon hearing the term Black Church Leadership and Family Conference, might wonder to themselves, well, why is it called a Black Church Leadership Conference?
2: Right, right.
1: You know, what's up with the emphasis on the term Black Church, okay? Uh, and I think it's a fair question. I'd like to really help clear up some of the fog that currently exists around that question, if I may. So let's let's go. Now, when attempting, attempting to unpack the term black church, it is absolutely fundamental that we understand that the term black church encompasses much more than matters of ecclesiology in terms of how a church functions and operates and what it believes in terms of doctrine. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Okay. I'm going to Mm -hmm. repeat that when attempting to unpack the term black church, it is absolutely critical that we understand that that term encompasses much, much more than mere matters of ecclesiology in terms of how a church functions and operates and what it believes in terms of doctrine. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when discussing the, quote unquote black church in America, you really have to begin at the beginning, which in this case means going back to the mid seventeen hundreds and realizing that for former African slaves in America, the church and by saying the church, put the words the church in quotes, okay, by saying the church I'm referring to the church as a physical structure, okay, as a physical building mm-hmm. an edifice, okay. A physical edifice that was the first opportunity for many former slaves to actually own land in this country. Mm. Okay, so that's really where we have to start in discussing what does the, the term black church mean in context. We need to go all the way back to the mid seventeen hundreds. Now, again, having said that, the church as a physical building, as an edifice, that was the first opportunity for many slaves former slaves rather, to actually own land in America. This is a primary reason why church buildings were so central to the civil rights movement of the 1960s, merely a hundred years later after the abolition of slavery. So when you look at the abolition of slavery, okay, with the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863, which I know before somebody says it, I know the Emancipation Proclamation did not free all the slaves. I get that. The point i'm making here is between the 1860s and the 1960s when help up held up against eternity or the entire uh, chronological timeline of human history 100 years is a drop in the back, in, in the bucket right okay so we're talking about only from the 1860s to the 1960s and then within that span of time the events that occurred within that window help us understand why church buildings were so central, especially to the civil rights movement of the 1960s. Mm -hmm. Now, during the civil rights era, the vast majority of meetings that were held to organize and strategize about that movement were conducted at local church buildings. So for more than 260 years leading up to the civil rights era in the 1960s, for at least 200 years, 260 years prior to that, or over that time, the church as a structure, as a building, has signified a place where black people could feel safe to be themselves without threat of reprisal or retribution. Now, with that in mind, just consider these words from the PBS website. PBS website has a great, uh, great information there on the history of the black church. But but I I captured this snippet from their website. I'm going to quote here. Quote, churches played a pivotal role in protest. So I'm emphasizing here. Uh, the the role of the church building
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, to the civil rights <clears throat> movement. Okay, so PBS says churches played a pivotal role in protests. In crowded basements and cramped offices, plans were made, strategies formulated, people assembled. Decades of providing social services now paid off in organized political protests. Marches took on the characteristics of religious services with prayers, short sermons and songs so the church has played a major role in terms of black sociocultural history and tradition in america for a very long time almost 300 years Mm -hmm. okay so no doubt about it the church as a structure i'm not even getting into the uh sociocultural significance of what happened within the church Mm -hmm. as i just read from the, the the quote from the pbs website but the church just just as a symbol has played a major role in black socio-cultural and religious religious history here in America for a very long time. Mm. No doubt about that. Anything you want to add there, Omaha?
0: No, I'm just thankful, man, for the time that that you spend each week giving our listeners the historic context of what we're discussing, whether it's whether it's it's a lesson in history or or we're walking through definitions. I think it's incredibly important. Uh, for our listeners to know, man, you know, the, the time that you invest in that is is well worth it. And I know that everyone feels more informed about the subjects that we cover due to the time that you take to walk us through a wide range of topics, the wide range of topics that we discuss. For those like you and me, though, who grew up in the black church, we have a tendency to take for granted, if we're not careful, the role that that God played in his providence aimed at blacks in America.
1: Wow. Come on, bro. Bring it. Bring it. I hear hear it coming.
0: Absolutely. (laughs) And while we could we could dissect the advantages and disadvantages of the approaches taken by the quote unquote black church, we cannot deny the major role that the black church played in shaping the culture in this country and so I, I think i think you just kind of started teeing it up and i know we're going to walk through it i just want to encourage our listeners those those who are, are maybe checking out just thinking for the first time I mean, this is kind of how we do business we really yep. do go back uh, do some research do some study and unpack for you the history and I, I know you're going to walk us through a little bit of that here in just a minute yeah so i mentioned a
1: second ago that the church just as an edifice as a structure has had significance to black Christians in America since the mid 1700s. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, and by the way, I use 260 years as the starting point of my timeline of the origins of the black church in America, because one of the earliest churches, if not the earliest church where black people were able to congregate was founded before the revolutionary war. Mm in 1758 wow okay the first what you may call african-american church or black church was founded in america in 1758 it was an african baptist church known as the bluestone church Mm -hmm. now the bluestone church was given that name because it was founded on the plantation belonging to a man by the name of william Byrd, and it was located near the bluestone river in mecklenburg virginia so that's Mm -hmm. how the church got the name the bluestone church it was founded in 1758 now there's also the equally historic if not more historic bethel african methodist church in philadelphia pennsylvania Mm -hmm. known affectionately as mother bethel okay Mm -hmm. now it's called mother bethel because it is the quote-unquote mother church of the african methodist episcopal or ame Denomination which was formed in 1816. Mm -hmm. Now, according to Ricardo Howell of the Encyclopedia of Greater Philadelphia, quote, Mother Bethel was founded by Richard Allen, a Delaware born former slave who purchased his own freedom in 1783 and began preaching the gospel in Delaware, Maryland, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. In 1786, Allen was asked by a Methodist elder to minister to Philadelphia's growing free black community at the city's St. George's Church. Mm -hmm. At St. George's, Allen preached to blacks at pre sunrise services so as to not get in the way of whites. He also evangelized blacks in nearby neighborhoods. By 1787, Allen, an ex slave, Absalom Jones, and let me just part. This is this is Daryl talking here. I'm not I'm not quoting for a second. Let me break away from the clo- quote, rather. If you haven't studied or if you're unfamiliar with who Absalom Jones is, mm-hmm. you need to find out who Absalom mm-hmm. Jones was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the first name is spelled A-B-S-A-L-O-M. Last mm-hmm. name is Jones. Absalom Jones. Look him up and study that man. I'm going to go back and continue the quote. By 1787, Allen Ex slave Absalom Jones and other black community leaders pressed to have a religious and social fellowship of their own. Mm-hmm. The causes of faith, mutual financial benefit, and community support were central to the free African society they formed in 1787. No less important were black claims to personal and organizational independence in an age marked by slavery and liberty. Mother Bethel Church the descendant of the free African society recognizes its birth in the formative 1787 movement of first independent organization, a quote Liberty bell for black folks, quote unquote, as one of the church's pastors has said. So again, when one thinks of the term black church, One cannot understand that term in its most fundamental meaning and context without first understanding how the church became so significant a symbol. The church building became so significant a symbol to black people in America in in America to begin with. Mm -hmm. Now, according to the African-American Registry website, the African-American Registry website expands on that point, the point being that the church was a significant symbol to black people in America. The African-American registry website expands on that point by saying this, quote, organized politically and spiritually, black churches were not only given to the teachings of Christianity, but they were faithfully relied upon to address the specific issues which affected their members. Mm. For many African-American Christians, regardless of their denominational differences, Black churches have always represented their religion, community, and home, unquote. Mm-hmm. Now, that's, that's critical to keep in mind, because mm-hmm. what I've just read from the African-American Registry website, particularly with, with regard to how, quote, Black churches have always represented their religion, community, and home, unquote, it provides great insight into why many Black Christians today are socially liberal and align themselves politically with one party in particular, one particular party, because their paradigm of Christianity is one that sees government as an extension of the church, Wow. as it relates to meeting the needs of the poor and the oppressed. Mm-hmm. Okay, And only one of the two major political parties in America stresses government as taking on that paternalistic role, as opposed to the other major political party, which by comparison stresses individual responsibility. So, wow,
0: great insight.
1: When someone like J.D. Greer comes before an audience comprised primarily of black Christians saying things like this quote from the article, quote, God has written a very unique story in your churches, in your lives. That is a wisdom he intends to use sovereignly as we continue to proclaim the gospel to our nation. It is something you are doing not as a service to the Lord Jesus, not only to him, but also as a service to your brothers and sisters of the Southern Baptist Convention, unquote. So when mm-hmm. J.D. Gris says something like that to those who were listening to him at that black church event mm-hmm. in Ridgecrest, mm-hmm. North Carolina, when he says something like that, those who are listening to those words are all ears.
0: Right. Because
1: right. those words speak to them in a way that recounts the black church's history mm-hmm. of suffrage
0: and struggle in America. Okay. Any thoughts, Omaha? Man, great insight uh, with regard to where where we came from, uh, as a, as a as a quote unquote black church, and and how kind of we landed ideologically, uh, and 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 really from a standpoint of how we how we practice things uh, and, and our ecclesiology as a result, and uh, and and how that's an extension even politically of how we operate. So I thought just this was great, great insight. Two things come to mind, man, as I listen to you run through black church. History. The first is how amazing it is that despite the difficult circumstances, the resilience of those who desire to pursue Christ, it was absolutely amazing.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: For example, you mentioned that freed slave Richard Allen uh, yeah. was asked to minister to a growing free black community uh, at, at the city's uh, St. George's Church. You mentioned that Allen would preach to blacks. You said, quote, pre at pre sunrise services so as not to get in the way of whites, end quote. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, now, bro, pre-sunrise services? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, m- most of us have trouble getting to church on time. Can you imagine people being so hungry for the Word of God that they would get up before the sun yeah. rose in order to get to service? Yeah. And think of that as a, as a church plant strategy that required its attendees to get to service before the sun rises. Th- that, that whole thought process about what they went through and walked through, that's absolutely Amazing, and the commitment of men uh that you mentioned uh like like allen like Absalom Jones, I totally think people should go back and 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 pick up a book and find out about about what what he did as well. Their commitment was absolutely amazing mm-hmm, it was my, my second thought was how and and this is important i i i reached out to you as i thought through this as i was listening to 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 what you were you were thinking through and and talk, wanting to talk to everybody about and bringing kind of the black church history i wanted to, i had to pause for a second and think carefully and so it, here's kind of some commentary that i that i put together as a result of of that i said if we aren't careful given the rich history of the black church we can we can believe that historic success serves well as a proper model for biblical ecclesiology moving forward, right? If Again, if we're not careful, and given Mm -hmm. the rich history of the black church, Mm -hmm. we could have a tendency to think that historic success serves as a proper model for biblical ecclesiology moving forward. That's a great point. That's a blind spot, man. We need to be aware of. Absolutely. Given our history, there's no doubt that God providentially used men like Alan and others to see slaves and former slaves come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. If we're not careful, however, we can become wedded to the providence of God aimed at a historic period and begin to use it as a prescription for what must be done today. Man. Does that make sense? Wow. Wow. I, I know you're going to get into this in some greater detail. However, wow. we, we've we've all heard the saying that one needs to be on the, quote, right side of history, end mm-hmm. quote. Now, now, the problem with language like that is that history is never the benchmark of what is right, good or true. Mm-hmm. And, and we can only leverage that idea, the, quote, right side of history, or, or we have a tendency rather to leverage that, that idea, the, quote, right side of history, end quote after events in question have landed in our ideological favor. Right. So so as as you've covered the ground of history, right, you've covered it well. We must push past that sacred ground. Mm-hmm. We have to push past it. We must acknowledge what God did in the historic past of the black church, and we must acknowledge those he used to accomplish his will. Mm-hmm. However, in addition, we have to ask ourselves a very important question, and that question is this. Was all that was done in the name of God actually done according to the word of God? Man,
1: wait a minute. Cue the mascot right here. (laughs) (laughs) This is the first appearance of the HB3 this episode. Cue it up, bro. Omaha, I'm going to need you to. Flip that one back, man, and let's have
0: that one again. That was so yeah. nice I'm gonna ask you to say it twice. It's <laughs> it's 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 important because it is so easy, bro, for us to get caught up in the majestic historic past, right? This powerful past of history where there was incredible adversity on the part of, of African Americans, of blacks. in 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 American society where there was real issue of racism. And and these men, men like Absalom Jones, men like Richard Allen overcame those great situations, those great odds and saw God's hand move in their lives to the point where we actually have something that's even called the black church. But if we're not careful, man, we can look at that and begin to look at God's providence in that in that instance and begin to think that it is the prescription for our current day. And again, I'll I'll say what I said earlier, and, and that is we have to push past that sacred ground. We have to push past it and really begin to ask this particular question. Was all that was done in the name of God actually done according to the word of God? And those are those are my thoughts bro i'll wait for where you take us next man. man thanks so much for
1: that omaha you know with all that said with what you just said so eloquently and everything that i said in background from a historical standpoint i just want to say again that i fully understand why such a term as black church exists mm-hmm. okay i understand that the term was necessary from the standpoint of ecclesiastical history for black Christians in America and how former slaves who had come to faith in Christ were for decades before and after abolition Mm -hmm. forbidden by predominantly white churches and denominations from assembling and worshiping together with them. Mm -hmm. So I get the necessity of the term. All right. So it must be understood that the term black church, the black church as an entity, rather, the black church as an entity was formed out of necessity and not by any desire on the part of those black Christians to be separatist in any way. Man, that's I good. I think a very, very that's important very contextual point. point to make. Yeah. Okay. The term black church as an entity or, or the black church as an entity, okay, was formed out of necessity and not by any desire on the part of those black christians to be separatist is in any way shape or form not right. at all okay right. so it is in that historical context that i completely understand how the term black church came to be okay i get that i acknowledge that all right but as you so you said so well omaha just a couple moments ago the reality is that the circumstances that led to the forming Of what is commonly referred to as the black church no longer exists Mm. those circumstances no longer exist black christians are no longer restrained or prohibited in any way from worshiping jesus christ wherever and however they please Mm -hmm. okay the body of christ is one church One church which no longer has any need for such distinctions as ethnicity or any other qualifiers such as, quote unquote, black church. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. So as the scriptures declare in Galatians three, twenty eight. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female for you are all one in christ jesus that's galatians 3 28 from of course <laughs> the non-armenian standard bible translation Man,
0: i got i gotta figure something
2: out now <laughs> i, got, I now gotta the figure word, something out
1: the word all in that text the word all there in galatians three twenty-eight, is the greek adjective pas mm-hmm. spelled p-a-s the greek adjective pas which can be translated to mean every individual believer as well as a collective body of believers. So when Paul says, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, that means every individual and collective believer, okay? Now, in citing Paul's words in Galatians 3.28, that we are all one in Christ, I'm reminded of the words of Charles Spurgeon from a sermon he delivered on May 24th, 1863 on the subject of Pentecost, in which Spurgeon said this. He said, quote, When there are no cold hearts, when there are no prejudices to divide us, no bigotries to separate us, no apathy shall hold us down. Mm. No false doctrine shall thrust the flocks from one another and no schism to rend the one sacred garment of Christ. Then may we expect to see the spirit of God resting
0: upon us. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. Was that awesome or what? That's awesome, yeah.
1: Now, Spurgeon's words bring to mind the words of another great evangelist of the 19th century, Dwight L. Moody. Moody said this, quote, I have never yet known the Spirit of God to work where the Lord's people were divided. Wow. Unquote.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, given that the prejudicial ecclesiastical structures and institutions in which the black church was founded in the 1700s, have long since been done away with. Mm. I am arguing that it's high time to cease using such descriptors as black church, white church, or any other such ethnic-specific monikers. <laughs> as we are all in one, we are all one in Jesus Christ. We are all one. It's 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 high time that we stop using those descriptors. Mm. Uh, thoughts, Omaha. You're going to get in trouble for
0: that one. I know. <laughs> I know. Get I, can't in line. Say, I can't say black church no more. See, that's the old Uncle Tom having <laughs> that old Uncle, that ju- that Just Thinking podcast, them old Tom's on there, man. What in the world? <laughs> you know that's coming. Oh, I know it's coming, man. I you know it's coming. coming. I, okay. know coming. Okay. I know. That's why when I, I when I heard you say I had to laugh. I mean, I had if you go back, I, I chuckled right as you said. I thought here. Here he go. Here he go. I just want
1: to say for anybody who's planning on call. But I already told folks. I know. I know. That, ago, I know. <laughs> go, ahead and go ahead and call me Tom anyway.
0: Right, 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 right. I, right.
1: I, I take that as a badge of courage. But for those folks who think they're calling me Uncle Tom are using it in a pejorative sense. Right. Please, please go educate yourself and read Harriet right. Beecher Stowe's book first,
0: please. Absolutely. Please, will you do me Absolutely. that favor? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Again, th- those those who heard me use that as it as as easily as I did, I I trust that they followed our podcast that you know thus far know that you know to go back and go read the the history of that, recognizing that's not a pejorative be, in any way, shape, or form. That, so
1: that's going to be my next vanity license plate for right, my car
0: right. here in <laughs> California. It's just going to say "Palm." <laughs> 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 That's going to be good stuff. That's gonna, well, listen, let me let me go back to where we were. If I could summarize what you've just said in, in, a, in, a, in a brief way, here's what I'd say. Basically, what you're saying is this, that, that God in his providence allowed and, and used the, the historic black church to draw men unto himself, and that the basis of the success of the quote-unquote black church was union with Christ through gospel proclamation, not union with government, through community action. Amen. Right? Furthermore, you're saying that when we examine the hallowed ground of black church history and compare it to the light of scripture, both slave and free, black and white, must relinquish hurts and pain, prejudice and pride to the supremacy of Christ who endured it all on a cross. Wait right there. Okay. Cue the
1: mascot. <laughs> Cue the mascot, Omaha. That was awesome, brother. And all serious, that was absolutely right? fantastic, man. That's, it.
0: that's That's what you're saying. What you're saying, I'll, I'll walk through it again. When we examine the hollowed ground, the hallowed ground of black church history, and we compare it to the light of scripture, both slave and free, black and white must relinquish hurts and pain, prejudice and pride. To the supremacy of christ who endured it all on the cross i wow. I, I think i think i've got it man i think that's
1: man. it yeah i think you nailed it bro you know sadly it's, it's just great that you that, that, that god gave you those words to say at this point in the uh in this episode because sadly there are many professing christians today who seek to divide the body of christ over some of those hurts mm-hmm. that you were alluding to over mm-hmm. sins that were committed in the past especially sins that were committed against Black Christians by white Christians.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: uh You know, I coined
0: a term for that, and I call it "sin by proxy." Right, right. And we actually uh, have, we actually have a T shirt, man. People can go to the uh, look this sh- shameless plug. People can go to uh, the <laughs> Bargear forward slash JT and find that that uh, that T shirt "sin by proxy," man. Yeah, bargear.com forward slash yeah, yeah. JT. JT. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You find that T
1: shirt, and we've also done a podcast episode titled "Sin by Proxy." Absolutely go back and listen to that we delve into uh the context of that that phrase and and why i coined it as i did but you know it's those sins of the past which i believe jd greer is alluding to when he said to those in attendance at the black leadership and family conference quote i want you to hear from me who has the privilege of serving in this capacity as president i want you to hear thank you and i want you to know that your sacrifices and your prayers and your faith have not been in vain, that God is using them, unquote. Now, Greer went on to say, quote, and with our humility and with our continued posture of repentance, we believe that even greater days are ahead, unquote. Our continued posture of repentance, our humility. Now, I don't know with certainty to whom Greer is referring when he says our humility humility and our continued posture of repentance. Mm -hmm. But he seems to me to be offering yet another apology to black Christians on behalf of white evangelicals for those sins of the past, which you and I alluded to earlier, Omaha. Right. Right. Now in saying that I am not questioning Greer's sincerity at all. I want to make that clear. I do not know the man's heart. Okay. So I have no idea what his his motive is or what his the inspiration is for him to have said what he said nevertheless i do want to remind everyone listening that those sins are in the past and we need to regard them as such now i say that in light of such text as first peter 3:18 for christ also died for sins once for all the just for the unjust so that he might bring us to god now i want to add an important footnote to the verse i just cited from first peter 318 and it is this every one of us either was in that unjust category of people that peter described as needing to be brought to god or we still are in that category according to john 336 he who believes in the son has eternal life Mm -hmm. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Mm-hmm. So believers in Jesus Christ are no longer regarded as unjust by God by virtue of the substitutionary work of Christ on, on the cross and dying in their place. Okay, Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom? Also, we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. Unbelievers, okay, so that's where believers are. right? Unbelievers, however, remain in an unjustified state. And consequently, as I just read in John 3, 36, they remain under God's wrath as a present day reality. Mm -hmm. So if you are not a believer in Christ, God's wrath is on you right now. Now, don't think that just because he hasn't struck you down with a lightning bolt that you're getting away with your sin and your unbelief. Mm-hmm. That's not what that means. But I want to focus on those right now who are saved, who have been justified by faith in Christ. That what I said earlier with respect to us, uh, 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 Christ dying once for all, dying for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, I want to focus on the just right now, because that means two things to you. Mm -hmm. First Peter 3.18 means two things as far as you're concerned. Okay, number one, that means that the sins of repentant believers, regardless of when those sins were committed or against whom they were committed, because ultimately all sin is first and foremost against God, the sins of repentant believers, regardless of when those sins were committed or against whom they were committed, those sins have been atoned for and forgiven for all eternity by God. Oh. Now we know this from such text as Hebrews 8.12. For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more, Amen. God says. Mm-hmm. Now it is important to point out that the Greek verb remember in Hebrews 8.12 translates to mean not that God forgets our sins, but that he does not recall them to mind so as to be used against us. Amen. That's what that Greek word, Greek verb, remember means in, in Hebrews eight twelve. So for you who are just, you who are believers in Christ, that's number one that you need to keep in mind. That the sins of repentant believers, regardless of when those sins were committed or who they were committed against, those sins have been atoned for by Christ and forgiven for all eternity. Okay? So that's number one. Number two, given the reality of number one, none of us has any right whatsoever to harbor a spirit of unforgiveness in our heart toward anyone. None. Mm. Mm. Paul writes in Ephesians 4.32 that believers are to, quote, be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving each other, just as God and Christ also has forgiven you, mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's with that verse in mind, Ephesians 4.32, that I want to quote again from Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon said this, quote, he says, Satan always hates Christian fellowship. It is his policy to keep Christians apart. Anything which can divide saints from one another, he delights in. Mm-hmm. He attaches far more importance to godly intercourse than we do. Mm-hmm. Since union is strength, Satan does his best to promote separation.
0: Unquote. Thoughts on that, Omaha. Man, just a great section that you just walked us through and, and and especially what you what you talked about with regard to that we have no right whatsoever to harbor a spirit of unforgiveness toward anyone in our hearts. But I, I have to go back to what Greer said earlier in the article that caught my attention. He said, quote, I want you to hear. From me, who has the privilege of serving in this capacity as president. End quote. Now, the word, the two words that jump off the page at me are privilege and president. Oh yeah. Now, now, in order, in order to express the full context of what was going through my head as I read this, man, I have to reach back to to what I'll call black church narration mode. Right. If. It, <laughs> Hold on, Omaha. Hold okay, on. Okay, 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 man. I think,
1: listen, I think you might be going a little too deep for our listeners here, man. They don't know. Me. Listen, it's <laughs> it's just like it's just like they they weren't aware of what the Hammond B three was, bro.
0: Right, 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 right. I, I'm taking them even deeper on this one, man. I'm gonna have to. We gonna have to go to black church narration mode. <laughs> this is black church narration mode. It's a button you push that it that allows you to enter into the black church narration for the for the following commentary that i'm about to walk everybody through oh so this is something that was going on in my head and from time to time this this is what happens in my head from time to time when i see crazy stuff happening so so you have to remember we're in black church narration mode for the following bit of commentary so in my head man as i read this as i read what he said I, i thought this you jd greer are the president of the sbc you are not the pope so so let's not let's not act as if you're speaking ex cathedra with some mm-hmm. infallible authority. Mm-hmm. Now, I can't think of one SBC church that sent Greer to provide some kowtowing thank you on behalf of its churches to offer to black folks as if they needed it. Right. 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 This is the most condescending beginning opening mm-hmm. line. And it doesn't even stop there. The next thing he said was, he said, I want you to know that your sacrifices and your prayers and your faith have not been in vain and that God is using them. Now, Mm -hmm. like you, you, Daryl, for the life of me, I can't imagine what the context is in which he's making those kinds of statements. Now, his comments would make sense if they had been made in the historic context that you, Daryl, provided earlier for us, right? right. For, for for example, if Greer had met Richard Allen in the 1780s and said, Pastor Allen, your prayers and your faith have not been in vain and God is using them, that to me would make sense. Yeah. But given the fact that the current bunch of black leaders have access to any church that they would like to attend, I'm at a loss as to what Greer would be referring to other than to placate the sinful mm-hmm. exactly. unforgiveness regarding historic racism that Greer discerned might be in the hearts of those who were in the audience.
1: Oh boy. <laughs> <Quite> <laughs> now,
0: now before, I go, well, before I go too far out on a limb, let me say that the tone of the article and the social justice culture that permeates some in the leadership of the SBC has led me to think in terms of what I'm positing here. Now, if I'm wrong, and Greer had something specific in mind other than historic, the, historic, uh, mm-hmm. past, the historic racism of the past. I'll be the first to acknowledge my error. Now, lastly, when Greer, when Greer said, "With uh, and with our humility and our continued posture of repentance, we believe that greater days are ahead." Now, this is this is mind-numbing to me. Because I can't think of a more racially, given what you just shared about the historic past, given what those pastors had in their mind, I can't think of a more racially charged, condescending bunch of division that anyone can serve up. And all of this under the guise of man-made unity. Yep. Amen. Right. The Christian posture is a posture of repentance, and that repentance is aimed toward God. You said this earlier in your comments. Our sin is primarily against against God. Mm -hmm. So so let's review Greer's comments Uh, beginning. uh, If we can review his comments, Greer's comments begin by coming off of his presidential perch to say thank you. Mm -hmm. And then and then he in pope like presence instructs the audience that their prayers are not in vain. Mm-hmm. And then and then, finally, in full evangelical white privilege posture, he properly checks his privilege and then continues in a posture of repentance. Now, this is an absolute mess, absolute mess. This is manufactured unity as mm-hmm. Greer gives the sinful reality of unforgiveness a hat tip. In in other words, Greer knows that the men in the room still harbor unforgiveness regarding historic racism. And rather than unifying these men under the cross of Christ, he validates their sinful division by alluding to a past that has nothing to do with their present reality. Mm -hmm. Now, now if there's something happening today for which Greer should repent of, then he should make it plain so that all of us can unify under Mm -hmm. that truth. Wow. Wow. I have to agree with you on, on everything you just
1: said. I have to absolutely agree. That was some of the most condescending uh-huh. commentary I'd
0: ever come across. It, here, and here's here's the thing about it, man. It to, to the average person out there looking at this, listening, and even those listening to this comments that had the hit. You, you unpacked for our listeners a, a rich history that that is in the mind. Of the black person in the audience right mm-hmm. and 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 that's important to uncover so that you can know what's happening in their thought process as they hear these words and so rather mm-hmm. than rather than bringing us to the unifying place of the cross right what mm-hmm. greer does is he, he 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 assuages their 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 anger their angst uh their frustration their unforgiveness and 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 simply adds fuel to the fire and calls that unity right. And, and if we saw those comments in 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 and of themselves, nobody. In fact, everybody who read the comments, I would imagine, went, "Oh, that's a great thing that he said," and yep. pressed mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. But but you and I know better, right? You and I know better because we're looking at this through a biblical lens, where we have a biblical anthropology concerning the issue of race, and it's with that lens that you can see how racially divisive the commentary actually is.
1: Yeah, Greer. To me, when I read his comments through that Baptist Press article. I just sort of envisioned him as seeing himself as some sort of white savior. Mm-hmm. I seriously did. I mean, that mm-hmm. was some of the most condescending and, and subvertively so, because he used very, uh, shall we say, passive tones, passive right. words. Right. Uh, nothing that w- would have gone over the heads of anyone in the room. And I really see, uh, I really think that he sees himself as a a rescuer, right, right of, of right. them it's, it's as if he's uh, um, he, he's he's putting himself because you know in in uh, uh, during slavery and then not long after the abolition of slavery. Anyone who uh, was of the abolitionist cause were uh, likened by many former slaves to Moses. Right, right, right. They viewed Abraham Lincoln as Moses, Right. Harriet Tubman was Moses, Right. all of these individuals uh, symbolized uh, leaders of their own exodus out of slavery, mm-hmm. into freedom, into mm-hmm. the quote-unquote promised land, mm-hmm. and again, I don't know J.D. Greer's heart, now I'm saying this now for the third time, Right. I don't know J.D. Greer's heart, okay, so I don't want anyone saying to me, well, Daryl, you're being condemning, you're being judgmental. Uh, who are you? You're not God. Yeah, I know that. I know that. But J.D. Greer's is not Moses either. Okay. <laughs> and I read through, I read between the lines of what the man was saying. And if I had been in that room, I'd have pulled him aside afterwards and told right. him that. Matter of fact, if someone would be so kind as to pass along this episode to him, so he can hear me saying this to him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was some of the most uppity, uh, uh, <laughs> prejudice, classist uh, statements I'd ever heard. Right, you know, and and you're absolutely right. The the man was playing to the skin color
0: of the people in the room. Absolutely, absolutely. He was none of none, to, none of this was, language works in a in a different setting. Not this right. because of the fact that you, look, you walked our listeners through the historic past of the black church. So now, in light of that, they can understand what's kind of going on in these men's minds. But I, I, I this this language wouldn't work. He couldn't use this. La- no, folks are looking at him like, what, what What are you talking about? Absolutely I mean, not. What What are you? Absolutely what, where, not. Where's this coming from? What are, What are you talking about? Unless he attached it to something specific and current right. Right. and relevant with regard to the day. It, given, I mean, with without attaching it to something and just putting it out in in in, in the atmosphere, so to speak. Those guys can attach whatever thought that they had in their brain to what, what had what happened in the black church. And, and again, he knew he walking in It's black church leadership, black family conference. That's what you're walking into. So you can say things that those in that audience would get and understand rather than having to be very specific with with articulating the current condition.
1: Listen, what Greer did was tantamount to what Hillary did with hot sauce. That's that. Bruh. Come the on. Same thing. It's the same thing. Same thing. He just used more words. Absolutely. He, he, he Hillary said what Hillary said in two words. Right. Greer said in two hundred. Right. Right. Same thing. Yeah. It's the same thing. Hot it's hot sauce. It's hot sauce. This is hot sauce. It's hot sauce. This is hot sauce. He did exactly right. the same thing as Hillary did. Right. You know, and and there's a sense today among many professing Christians on that past injustices somehow give us the right to res- resurrect and re-prosecute them in the present. And so said this is right. this is this is to your point earlier about what JD Grid JD Grid did to that audience at the Black Church and Family Uh Leadership Conference. Right. He was passively, subliminally, you know, basically giving them the green light. Right to persist in these grievances, to to carry on a spirit of grievance. Absolutely. But nothing in scripture supports that idea. In fact, scripture supports just the opposite. Right, right. You see, you cannot claim, okay, Omaha, you cannot claim that Jesus died to atone for your personal sins, which scripture says in Psalm 103, 12, God has removed as far as the east is from the west, Mm -hmm. which is an infinite distance. Right. Okay, you cannot claim that Jesus died to atone for your personal sins, yet have the arrogance and the temerity to demand that that not be true for someone else who may or may not have sinned directly against you. Right, <laughs> right, right. So, in other words, Christ's death on the cross either suffices to atone for sins mm-hmm. once for all, or it doesn't. it doesn't. Right. And if it does, and it does, then enough with the apologies, okay, J.D. Greer? Amen. Enough. The Apostle Paul declares in Romans 6.10a, for the death that he, that is the death that Christ died, he died to sin once for all. That means the sin you and I confessed and repented of, as well as the sins committed by believers from past generations, regardless of the ethnicity of the offender or the degree of, of egregiousness Of the offense, if those sins were confessed and repented of, then those sins too have been atoned for for all eternity, never to be held against you or them again. We already covered that earlier. Now, with that said, I want to quote John MacArthur from his book, The Freedom and Power of Forgiveness. Mm. This is John MacArthur from The Freedom and Power of Forgiveness. Quote, To deny that forgiveness can ever be unilateral is, in my view, a potentially serious mistake. It places too much stress on confrontation, and that tends to produce more conflict than it avoids. People who insist on, listen to this, people who insist on confronting every wrong often simply want strife. The antithesis of what Jesus teaching on forgiveness was intended to produce real love macarthur says real love covers the vast majority of transgressions not constantly haul them out in the open for dissection Mm. unquote look it's long past time for us to have done away with such distinctions as black church black theology white church whatever ecclesiastical descriptor or adjective you may choose to use okay the purpose and mission of the church is larger than any one individual or group of individuals. I couldn't care less what grievance you might have, whether it be historical or contemporary. Once God in his sovereign providence brings a person to faith in him, he or she is as much a saved and forgiven child of God as you are. Mm. Now, my overarching point is this believers are all one in Christ. Now, now, that's a that's a right now reality. Mm-hmm. So let us live like the unified the, the rather let us live like the unified body of believers that we are, and who Christ prayed for us to be in John seventeen twenty one. Jesus said that they all may be one, mm-hmm. even as you Father are in me and I in you. That's the message J D. Gris should on, have man. been given to the audience of Black Christians. Come on, man. To to come together. As Jesus prayed in John 17, 21, that we all may be one. Mm -hmm. He should have been saying that, not placating and assuaging these black Christians under the guise of, quote, a continuing posture
0: of repentance. Yeah, yeah. Also, awesome. Yeah, that's so good, man. It, I, I, I said this. It, it is how lazy is it for leaders like Greer? And, and I want to be clear. I'm not. I'm not picking on Greer. And you said this over and over and over again with regard to, to Greer. He's simply our current example. And there are plenty of leaders like Greer who operate in this kind of vein. So let me say it this way: It, it is lazy to leverage the legacy of slavery for the purpose of unity. It, it is lazy. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yes, sir you the mascot.
1: <laughs> you the mascot right there.
0: It's lazy. This is laziness, bro. This is laziness. His is. effort in front of that group was lazy. It was lazy. It is lazy to leverage the legacy of slavery for the purpose of unity. And here's why. Everybody agrees on the evils of slavery in the past. It is neither noble nor courageous to stand on a platform and to get and to condemn historic slavery or racism in any way, shape or form. Yep. Adding adding a, quote, posture of repentance, end quote, that may get you an applause line from a crowd, but it absolutely changes nothing. Mm hmm. Now, Darrell, one of the things, man, that I've learned from you and that I hope our listeners of the show have taken away from us here at Just Thinking is that whenever you place a word, a descriptor in front of things that the Bible has cleared, clearly defined trouble mm-hmm. results, mm-hmm. Yep. words like gay marriage or gay Christian, words like yep. social justice or social yep. gospel, yep. The, these are add-ons to what God has already defined in Scripture, and we always seem to run into problems when we adopt definitions of the world to guide our direction. Mm-hmm. Wow, Omaha!
1: I tell you, man, you're gonna wear out the mascot, man. If you keep hitting, <laughs> you keep coming with this kind of heat, we're gonna have to buy a new mascot. <laughs> but but you nailed it. You nailed yeah. it. It's laziness. It's, la- it's That's laziness. lazy, bro. And you know what? You know what else is
0: it? It is. It's cowardice. Absolutely. Absolutely. listen it, it would have it would have been it would have been courageous to unify them under the cross of christ and next year Boom. when i come back Boom. i want this room to be filled with white brothers and black brothers and Boom. yellow brothers and you know asian brothers and Boom. that would have been courageous and take and take that term black church off of the title of this event absolutely that mm. would that would have been courageous. Hey, as the yep. president of the SBC, here's what I want to see when I come back here. Yep. I want to see that that would have taken some courage.
1: Yep. Man, man, let's move on, man. I'm, uh, I'm telling <laughs> you, man, listen, we, we need to set up. We need to set up a, a, a GoFundMe or something, man, to get the new HB3 up in here, because <laughs> I, I think this one is on his last legs, man. You know, in his book. Uh, the basis of Christian unity, the doctor, the mm-hmm. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Mm-hmm. Uh jones book, by the way, Lloyd-Jones' book is based on John 17 and Ephesians 4. But in uh, in the basis of Christian unity, uh, Lloyd-Jones said this. He says, people who are the subjects of the unity of which our Lord is speaking. Now, he, he's saying this, Obama. Uh, uh, Dad, I just called you Obama. right. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whoa! You having
0: to re- you reaching back, you reaching yeah, back, yeah,
1: man. I got my cons- <laughs> I got my consonants confused. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Omaha and Obama—that's the cl- it's close. <laughs>
1: that's pretty close. I get man. it. It's
0: close. I get it. I get it.
1: Close, close in spelling, <laughs> but not in worldview. That's no, for sure. very far apart. Very far but apart. But lord listen to Lloyd. What Lloyd Jones says here up against what you called earlier Omaha as fake unity. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Lloyd-Jones says, people who are the subjects of the unity of which our Lord is speaking, again, again, uh, Lloyd-Jones is talking up against it within the framework of John 17, Ephesians Mm -hmm. 4, okay? Mm -hmm. People who are the subjects of the unity of which our Lord is speaking are not those who have been brought up in a certain country or who happen to belong to a given race or nation or a particular visible church, e.g. black church. Mm -hmm. They are those who have received his word his teaching, and particularly his con- his teaching concerning himself, quote mm-hmm. All right? So Lloyd-Jones is saying here, the unity that Christ is speaking of in John 17 and through the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4, it's not based on any of these superficial descriptors such as race, nationality, or, uh, and I added this as a parenthetical, black church or any any sort of description descriptor or label that we give to the visible church Mm -hmm. that's not the unity that christ is talking about that's what this is what lloyd jones is arguing he's arguing your exact same point omaha now i want to be very very blunt here okay Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. a major problem among professing christians today is that we don't truly believe that christ has united us to one another
0: oh here you go
1: we don't believe what lloyd jones here is proffering in his book, The Basis of Christian Unity, in John 17 and Ephesians, Ephesians 4. Mm-hmm. We don't believe that.
0: Right, right.
1: Now, we may say with our mouths that we believe Christ's propitiatory work on the cross has united us with him and with God the Father, though I fear many who would even attest to that reality would fail to fully grasp the significance of what that means. hmm but I seriously doubt that they believe in their hearts that Christ's atoning work unifies us as individual believers. That's good. I don't, I don't, I'm not convinced that many believers uh, within the church, many professing Christians would would say that they believe that legitimately. Right. Now you can just scan the landscape of social media, especially, especially social media. You can scan uh, various components of the landscape of the church today. Okay. But scan the landscape of social media Mm -hmm. for any length of time. And you'd be hard pressed to find a five minute span of time where Christians aren't attacking or disparaging one another for one reason or another. Mm -hmm. That's usually in regard to something as, as, as eternally irrelevant and (laughs) insignificant as social justice. Right, right, right. or So-called racial reconciliation or multi-ethnic congregation pursuing multi-ethnic congregations at the local church level,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: which brings to mind, by the way, which brings to mind what I personally found to be the most frustrating part about J.D. Greer's remarks at these at that event uh in Ridgecrest, North Carolina, at least according to the Baptist Press article. Right. The Baptist Press article quotes Greer as saying this, quote, By God's grace, he is moving in his church, and he is showing us that to be a reflection of his glory, we need to reflect the diversity of our communities. Unquote. Mm-hmm. Now, whenever I hear anyone say what J.D. Greer reportedly said, that we need to reflect the diversity of our communities, Uh I want to throw up. (laughs) I want to throw up. Matter of fact, I'm going to throw it over to you, Omaha, while I go do that.
0: Right. (laughs) (laughs) Now, people who who are brand new with us, probably won't understand that, but I, I'll, I'll add some commentary to that and I know you'll circle back on it for sure. Now, again, I don't, I don't think Greer, like many well-intentioned leaders, and I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt here, has thought through their statements when they say things like, we need to reflect the diversity of our communities. And, and by this, man, I'm assuming that he's referring to ethnic diversity, since that's the only benchmark right. that we can actually see. Right. 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 Now, as you and I have said many times, diversity in and of itself is not a virtue. Right. Right. Ethnic diversity is not innately virtuous. So whenever we're appealing to something on the basis of, quote, diversity, end quote, we need to first figure out what is so virtuous about melanin. Right. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, seriously, I, I know you'll make another point regarding God's sovereignty on the issue of his church. However, we need to stop and think that we or rather we need to stop thinking that that, quote, black voices, end quote, are somehow virtuous simply on the basis of the fact that they're black. Yep. And, 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 and of course, I, I don't even know what a black voice is. I, I, for me, I think you have to be some kind of a, a racist to think that there's some monolithic black voice out there. Right. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's now, crazy. Now, of course, Daryl, if there is a black voice, I'd like for it to sound like James Earl Jones, right? When he, <laughs> <laughs> I would like for it to sound like James. You know, he did. This is CNN. You know, it sounds yeah. like a voice, a voice from God. I, if if there is a black voice out there, I'd my vote is for James Earl Jones to be the black voice out there, right? I don't but,
1: know, man. I I will vote for Barry White.
0: I oh, okay, okay. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Either way we got the we got we got we got that black baritone up in that piece, right? <laughs> <sighs> Oh man, but the the my my point is simply the idea of a black voice, the idea that something is innately virtuous, either on the basis of melanin or or dishonorable, right? As a on the basis or of of a lack of melanin is absolutely racist in and of itself.
1: This is this is as I already alluded to. I was being sarcastic earlier, but I was being sarcastic to make a point. Mm-hmm. When I hear people say we need to reflect the diversity of our com- uh, communities, as if that's that's in scripture somewhere, mm-hmm. I really, really get th- that. Really gets my dander up right mm-hmm. there, mm-hmm. because you know th- that may sound that that may look good on a bumper sticker, right, right, but that's not biblical, mm-hmm. you know. And it frustrates me that we're using uh really sort of uh uh, popular, uh, pithy catchphrases like that one is that JD mm-hmm. Greer uses,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, you know, as if they're, um, scripturally dogmatic, you know, that, that right. they're, that they're, that they're somehow how authoritative, you know, and, and it really frustrates me when people like Greer and others who have said the same thing, mm-hmm. think we need to help God out.
0: Right, 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 right.
1: <laughs> we need to help God out, build his church. Right. Seriously. I mean, listen, let me bring up, let me read a text real quick from Acts chapter 13. I'm going to read Acts 13, 48. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Acts chapter 13, verse 48. It says, when the Gentiles heard this, they're they're hearing the gospel preached from Paul and Barnabas here. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. Now, I want to repeat that. They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. Hmm. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. Come on, man. Come on, man. We do not need to help God out. Yeah. In building his church. Okay. Look, let me keep it real with you listeners here. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: As if I don't normally do that. (laughs) Let me keep it real with you guys. When you hear someone say that the church, quote, needs to reflect the diversity of our community. Mm -hmm. The we that they that they're referring to, the we is always referring to churches whose congregations are comprised predominantly of white people Mm -hmm. every single time. Never. And I mean, never is that phrase ever made with regard to churches that are predominantly black. Mm -hmm. Never. It is always white churches that need to work to ethnically diversify their congregations. Never black churches. But I can take J.D. Greer to some neighborhoods on the west side of my hometown, Atlanta, and to some churches that already, quote, reflect the diversity of their communities and that their congregations are all black Mm -hmm. because their communities are all black. Mm -hmm. But see, here's the thing, Omaha, a multi-ethnic congregation does not pretend that there is multi-ethnic unity, right? For example, I, as a black person, can be seated next to a white person on my right, an Asian person on my left, a Hispanic person to my front, and a Middle Eastern person to my rear. And in such a scenario, you have achieved a multi-ethnic congregation, but you've done so only insofar as you have at best gathered together four people of different ethnicities who are congregating under the same roof.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Now, that, by definition, is a congregation. But that achieves nothing in terms of the gospel. Mm. Now, as I've said on previous episodes of the Just Thinking podcast, there is no first or second racial onions in the Bible. <laughs> Any talk that the church must reflect the diversity of our communities is nonsense. Right. That's nothing but sociocultural woke theology Come on. talking. And Come that's on. exactly what J.D. Greer was selling to the attendees at that Black Leadership and Family Conference last month. Mm hmm. Getting people of different hues of melanin to sit together on the same pew, that might be good for marketing and advertising purposes, but Mm -hmm. not for advancing the gospel. Wow. What difference does it make to have a multi-ethnic congregation if they are not multi-ethnic believers? Mm -hmm. There is a distinction that must be made a between a multi-ethnic congregation and a multi-ethnic church. Mm. The church is for believers. Yeah. Okay. A multi-ethnic congregation that are, that is not also multi-ethnic believers is not a multi-ethnic church. Mm -hmm. That's by biblical definition. It's like Martin Lloyd-Jones said in his sermon on Christian unity. He said, the mere fact that people are smiling and shaking hands doesn't tell you anything necessarily about their hearts. Mm. You see, people like Greer, who postulate incessantly about ethnic diversity, have apparently forgotten that the gospel is a message that works from the inside out, not the other way around.
0: Man, come on, come on. Cue the mascot. Cue the mascot, man. You got to walk. That was so nice. You have got to say that twice.
1: Yeah, let got me repeat that, that. People like Greer, who postulate or anyone else who postulates incessantly about ethnic diversity have apparently forgotten that the gospel is a message that works from the inside out, not Amen. the other way around. I just read that from Acts thirteen, forty eight. It says that they were glorifying the word of the Lord. Mm-hmm. They weren't glorifying the fact that oh here we are all together. Isn't this nice? Right. You know, in other words, it's about the power of God through the preaching of his word, changing people's hearts from stone to flesh. As we read in Ezekiel. Yeah, it's about changing people's hearts from stone to flesh, not changing the ethnicity of your congregation from white to black. Come on, man. Come on. I mean, besides, how can anyone like Greer call for multi-ethnic congregations at the local church level when you have Christians out, out here whose ecclesiology is so shallow? Their ecclesiology is so shallow that their definition of church has less to do with hearing sound doctrinal preaching from the pulpit and more to do with aesthetics, mm. such as Starbucks-like coffee bars and singing self-centered, quote-unquote, worship songs that repeat the same chorus 30 times. <laughs> I mean, let's be real here. That's how most <laughs> people look look at church. Right, their ecclesiology right. is so shallow. Right. It's an inch deep. And ten
0: miles wide, right? South awesome. Omaha. Now you done it, man. I'm saying, I first of all, eat, my, my my man need, needed to cue the mascot on that section right there, because that that will preach. I, I here's my comment, man. Hammer, meat, nail. Because you nailed that one, brother. You nailed that one. I mean, that there's not much more to add to that. I, I think what you said in that section is 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 critical for folks to think through. Uh, I, I love the fact that you talked about the, the the idea that that we think that the power of God needs help on our part somehow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> right. We yeah. he he's not capable. He's kind of shorthanded, and so we've got to do something extra to go grab folks that don't look like us into the mix. I mean, that's yeah. it's, ab- it's absolutely ridiculous. And then what you said about uh, the, the 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 shallowness of our definition of church. Uh, man, that's so that's so critical. And I mean, it's it's evident in the pragmatic approach that we take toward bringing bringing folks into our. Indeed. Great point. Great point. Right. Great point. Great. Point, I mean, bro. that's 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 all I've got to say about that, man. You
1: know, uh, one of my favorite theologians, J.C. Ryle, said, quote, unity without the gospel is a worthless unity. Mm. It is the very unity of hell, mm-hmm. unquote. That's J.C. Rao. Mm-hmm. You know, the Apostle Paul said in Romans 12, 5. So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, mm-hmm. one of another. That's a great verse to append to your comment that you made earlier about what J.D. Greer had a great opportunity to tell that congregation at that black church of uh, uh, family and Leadership Conference. Right. Listen, when I come back next year, right, I want to see this phrase black church removed from this banner. And I want to see the diversity of this event represent the body of Christ, the diversity right. of the body of Christ. Right. That's what I want to see. <laughs> Romans 12, five will be a great uh, apologetic for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul also says in first Corinthians 12, 18, but now God has placed the members now, God has placed, he says, mm-hmm. God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. Mm-hmm. That's First Corinthians 12, 18. We're not helping God out. See, here's the problem, Omaha. Under this whole banner of ethnic diversity, mm-hmm. see, we have confused God using us with God needing us.
0: Come on, man! Come on! Come on!
1: We confuse that. Mm-hmm. We think God needs us
0: mm-hmm. because
1: He's using us. Mm-hmm. That He needs us. God doesn't need us. We need to get that through our thick heads. Mm-hmm. God doesn't need us, and we just read this in First Corinthians twelve eighteen. It says, "God has placed the members mm-hmm. in the body just as He desired." Mm-hmm. Again, in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, Paul says this. He says, Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Right. So this is God working monogistically mm-hmm. to build his church. Amen. He He uses us, yes, but he doesn't need us. Right. Thoughts, somehow.
0: Well, you know, I, I see this kind of thing, Darrell, play out in many areas within the body of Christ. And <clears throat> in the instance that we're currently discussing is the issue of ethnic diversity, ethnic division. <clears throat> and here, it, where, where I'm at here in, in Omaha, I find, I find it to be true that the distinctions with, with it happen in other areas, for example, within age demographics, right? Yeah, we we often age segregate our classes, our Bible studies, in an effort yeah. to ensure that that those in classes are experiencing the same quote age specific journey in life, right? Yeah, and so I've I've come to find that this kind of ageism is e- as equally repugnant. I mean, these kinds of separations are contrary to Scripture, and 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 they're never a true reflection of the impact of the gospel. The basis of our unity is never our age or ethnicity. The, the, the basis of our unity isn't an agreed upon uh, sense of so-called ethnic diversity. The basis of our unity is that we've been adopted into the body of Christ and we are one body fitly Amen. held together. Ephesians four sixteen. Amen. Amen, brother. Mm-hmm. Well said.
1: You know, uh, with over a thousand people in the room at that event, J.D. Greer had a prime opportunity. And you said this, Omar, you've alluded mm-hmm. to this earlier. Mm -hmm. He had a prime opportunity to emphasize the oneness that those black Christians have in Christ with their fellow brethren around the world who Mm -hmm. are of varying ethnicities. Amen. He had a prime opportunity to remind them that it is Christ who accomplishes this unity, not some programmatic efforts to make sure our churches reflect the diversity of our communities. Mm -hmm. Christ does this himself. In fact, if Greer knows his Bible, then he must know that the ethnic diversity of God's church is already a foregone conclusion.
0: Mm, come on, man.
1: That much is made clear. in Revelation seven verse nine. Mm-hmm. What we read, it says after these things, I looked, and behold a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb. Mm. That's a foregone conclusion. That's why it's in the last book of the Bible.
2: <laughs> right right right. okay
1: all right everything in revelation and i'm not talking about es- eschatologically mm-hmm. okay so i'm not getting into some eschatological uh, uh context here right but everything that's in revelation is already from god's economy a reality it's as right. if it already happened okay now i do want to point out though in revelation 7 9 that the word nation in that text is the same greek noun ethnos which is found in Acts 17 26 which attests to the fact that God created from one man, Adam, every nation or ethnicity, every ethnos that exists on the face of the earth. So the church by definition is comprised of believers in Jesus Christ. All right. I alluded to that earlier. Mm-hmm. The church is defined scripturally by definition. The church is comprised of believers in Jesus Christ. It is not comprised of unbelievers. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. In other words, the church is an institution built on faith, not favor. It's <laughs> built good. on faith, not favor. That's good. Okay. All right. So it is not built on uh like you said earlier, and what uh JC Rao uh commented on is a, a what he described as a unity from hell, a false mm-hmm. unity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When you just when you just when you just sit people of different hues of melanin next to one another on a pew. Right. You don't have a multi-ethnic church. You got a multi-ethnic congregation. Right. But you don't have a multi-ethnic church Mm -hmm. unless they believe in in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Right. Okay. So again, in other words, the church is an institution built on faith, not favor. Mm -hmm. Okay. Whatever our differences may be, the unarguable fact remains that there is only one church. One Mm -hmm. church. One Charles Spurgeon said, it is not likely we should all see eye to eye. You cannot make a dozen watches all tick to the same time, Mm -hmm. much less make a dozen men all think the same thoughts. Mm -hmm. But still, if we should all bow our thoughts to that one written word and would own no authority but the Bible, the church could not be divided, could not be cut in pieces as she is now. Wow, 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 wow. I'm going to repeat that. This is yeah, Spurgeon sermon. Yeah, this, yeah, this is from Spurgeon's sermon titled the importance of small things in religion. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is the importance of small things in religion. Spurgeon said again, it is not likely we should all see eye to eye. You cannot make a dozen watches all tick to the same time, much less make a dozen men all think the same thoughts. But still, if we should all bow our thoughts to that one written word, Mm -hmm. and would own no authority but the Bible, the church could not be divided, could not be cut in pieces as she now is. Wow. Spurgeon, as Spurgeon does, nails it. Absolutely. Listen, I'll close with this. Then I'll, I'll, I'll throw it over to you for some closing thoughts. Sure. As long as the body of Christ insists on referring to one another using terms that reflect separateness, and not oneness, we will continue to reflect to the world a distorted image of what Christ desires his church to be. As we alluded to earlier in John 17, we will continue to reflect a distorted image of what Christ desires his church to be. And we need to remember it is his church. Mm -hmm. The church belongs to Christ. It is his church. That's also Omaha.
0: Well, I, I'll I'll just I'll end comments in the same way that you, kind of began them by saying that that what we desire to do at the outset is to discuss the topic of Christian unity, um, and, and and really expose what it is not, really what it is Zero. not. Yep. And 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 by doing so, we used one J.D. Greer, uh, as an example. But but again, none of this is aimed personally at him. Um, right. I, I I think that. I think he's representative of what a lot of white evangelicals who've bought into uh, social justice have bought into, kind of woke theology, uh, are doing, uh, and 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 maybe and and, and give again giving the, the a great benefit of the doubt, maybe doing um, ignorantly, maybe doing unbeknownst to them, maybe doing out of a out of a out of a heart that desires what, what they believe to be the right thing. And, and which is why this particular episode is incredibly important, because I think in, in, in very specific terms, we've walked through how that kind of unity is actually adding to division right. in the body of Christ. Right. Indeed. Great point. And, and, and that's again, that's why Daryl and I were so excited to sit down and walk through this particular topic and even even to use. These these uh, language from from Geer, from Greer that seems on its face to not even be a big deal. In fact, you'd almost you'd almost miss the statement because it doesn't seem like it, it like it's a big deal at all. You're like, oh, I mean, he thanked everybody right. and went went home. Mm-hmm. But, but there's a lot more to what he did and what he said and its right. impact in the broader evangelical context. And so I think it's important for us to to look at. I'm glad that you and I walked through this topic. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited for for this particular episode to drop and for us to get uh, feedback from it. And uh, man, I'm glad, absolutely glad we did it. But with with that said, man, I will uh, I will just let our listeners know to tune in next time for another edition of the Just Thinking podcast.